there, intrepid listeners. This is Devin, and you're listening to Space Mummies from Planet X, a podcast that explores all things science fiction, fantasy, and horror. But chances are you knew that already. And if you've listened to previous episodes, you're probably saying to yourself about now, wow, that sounded a lot less formal and rigid of an intro than I'm used to. And you'd be right about that. I'm trying something a little bit more relaxed. We'll see how it goes. We're back to science fiction this episode after covering horror on the last one, drilling down to the very bedrock of the genre, which is a clue for later. First, though, I want to mention my YouTube channel. Make sure you search Killer Voice Studios on YouTube and it'll come up. And that's where I post helpful tutorial videos about voiceover topics, along with episodes of this very podcast, in case you prefer to listen to it that way, as some people do. Make sure you not only subscribe to my YouTube channel, but also rate and review the podcast on Apple iTunes, in case you haven't done so already. I want to get as many people listening to this as possible, and the more people that listen, the better the content gets, and everybody wins. And I can only do that with your help, so thank you in advance. This past week, on the YouTube channel, I released a video about how to go about choosing the right microphone for voiceover. Next week? Who can say? Really, I I have no idea what I'm going to cover, but it's going to be good, and the only way you'll be able to catch it is if you subscribe to find out. I've been really busy lately, so busy, and the few bits of time I've been able to take away from all the work that I've been doing. I've been watching The Walking Dead, uh, trying to catch all the way up to the next part before the final season airs. Do you think there's going to be a podcast, maybe, to coincide with that? Yeah, you bet your ass there will. Also, about a little over a week ago, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean Part 2 came out on Netflix. And if you're saying, those are a lot of words, uh, yeah, it's an anime. really good it's super good i binged it so hard in just a matter of days i love jojo i'm a huge fan it's been such a fascinating ride following hirohiko araki's singular psychosexual story and i do kid but really only slightly since the beginning it just gets weirder and weirder with each season it just has such david lynch vibes The only problem is I finished what was there, and now I have to wait for a part three? Impossible. Screw you guys. I also saw the movie Beast the other week. That's the one with Idris Elba being hunted by a lion. And considering the heavy reliance on CG for the lions, I thought they did a good job. It's funny, a couple episodes back I was talking about CG for animals. This one did it right. Um, The acting was reasonably believable, even if I don't buy for a second that Elbow would survive fighting a lion for as long as that fight at the end goes on, which is not a dig at Elba. The lion fight is just really brutal. The other thing is that they made that lion like the damn Terminator. It just survives so much damage relatively unscathed, including falling off a cliff and being set on fire. My disbelief can only be suspended so much. Anyway, back to the topic at hand for this week. And before I get into it, I wanted to mention, this is not the first time I've tried recording this podcast. I tried another take that went well over an hour, which is a lot um, for the material that I'm covering. So I'm going to end up breaking this one into two different parts. And right now you're listening to part one, part two will come out in two weeks. 
it's a lot to cover, as it turns out. My notes for this ran 15 pages. Anyway, we're going to be talking about a true legend in the realm of science fiction, and one of his most famous and influential works. We'll be discussing Isaac Asimov and the Foundation series. You're familiar with my work, Psychohistory? Every mathematician has read your theory. It's not a theory. It's the future of mankind expressed in numbers. And the Empire won't like the future, I predict. Isaac Asimov was a pioneer in the realm of science fiction. He introduced numerous concepts like the three laws of robotics, and he explored themes relating to societal decay, free will, morality and ethics, artificial intelligence, obviously, scientific advancement, and so on. He was also a true Renaissance man, writing books about Shakespeare, astronomy, the Bible, American history, the history of mathematics. He wrote or edited over 500 books. He was an incredibly prolific writer. He also won over 100 awards and received 14 honorary doctoral degrees from different universities, which is to say nothing about his very real PhD that he earned in chemistry. He's also credited with coining several new words that went on to become part of the English language, including the word robotics, which he invented, positronic, and psychohistory. He was born around January 2nd, 1920 in Petrovici, Russia, and I say around because it's not exactly clear what date he was actually born, so Asimov just always celebrated his birthday on January 2nd. His parents were Russian Orthodox Jews, and the family immigrated to the United States in 1923, when Isaac was three, in the wake of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. His parents spoke both Yiddish and English at home, and as a result, Isaac became fluent in both. There's a a story that says he taught himself how to read at age five and was admitted to first grade a year early, which sounds incredible, but could be true. His parents owned a series of candy stores, and the entire family was expected to work there. They also sold magazines and newspapers as well, and this was a major influence that Asimov later cited as instilling within him a love of the written word. It was during this time that he began reading pulp science fiction magazines as well. So he graduated at 15, briefly attended City College in New York before accepting a scholarship to Seth Lowe Junior College, which was a branch of Columbia University. At age 18, he wrote his first science fiction story for Astounding Science Fiction magazine. His father was an immigrant, didn't really speak a lot of English, and didn't really understand how these things typically worked, so he convinced his son to travel to the magazine's headquarters and submit the story directly to the magazine's founder, John Campbell, which is what he did. Campbell was famous in the field of science fiction literature, but nevertheless, he was charmed by the eagerness and work ethic of Asimov. He met with him for over an hour, accepted the submission, and then promised to read the story himself. Two days later, Asimov received a detailed rejection letter. In fact, his first six stories were rejected, but he never gave up. You see, about four months later, he sold his first story, then another, then another. One of these was a story that finally got him published in Campbell's magazine. And then he took off. From 1938 to 1940, Asimov wrote 
22 science fiction short stories, 13 of which were published. In 1939, he was accepted into the graduate program for chemistry at Columbia University. He would go on to earn a master's in chemistry in 1941, and then a doctorate in 1948. Also, during the 40s, during World War II, Asimov worked as a civilian chemist at the Naval Air Experimental Station in Philadelphia. And also, while this was going on throughout the 1940s, Asimov just kept knocking out short story after short story. In March and April 1941, his 32nd story, called Nightfall, was published. That one's about a story about a planet called Lagash that has six suns and never experiences darkness, except for once every 2,000 years when there's a total eclipse for several hours. And during these brief periods, the civilization across the planet just goes completely insane and destroys itself because they've developed their society in an environment where night is just a completely alien concept. It's fascinating. In 1968, the science fiction writers of America voted Nightfall as the best science fiction short story ever written. So in 1942, Asimov published the first story that would later be collected as the first of his Foundation trilogy of books. In total, he published four Foundation short stories from 1942 to 1944 in Astounding Science Fiction. A fifth was written for the book that was published in 1951 by Gnome Press and ended up being the first of the sections. The concept for Foundation came out of a proposal that Asimov pitched to Campbell about writing a story set during the decline of a galactic empire modeled after the fall of the Roman Empire. The idea then evolved into a series of stories detailing the fall of the first galactic empire and then the rise of the second. Asimov continued to publish Foundation stories in Astounding Science all throughout the 40s up till 1950. The two novellas that would make up the second Foundation book, which was called Foundation and Empire, were published in 1945, and then the two novellas that comprised the third book in the trilogy called Second Foundation, those were published in 1948 and then 1950. And then 1951, 1952, 1953, that's when Foundation, then Foundation and Empire, and then Second Foundation were published in sequence. And those books comprised a trilogy of novels in the Foundation universe, and that was all we got for decades. But I'll touch on that more later. So let's talk about what the Foundation trilogy even is. Naturally, by the way, there's going to be spoilers, so just know that going in, as usual. Foundation is a story about the fall of the first galactic empire and the one man who saw it coming and put in place a plan to soften the fall and establish a foundation for the rise of the second galactic empire. That man is a mathematician named Harry Selden. In the waning years of the First Galactic Empire, he developed a new field of science called psychohistory that used mathematics and statistical sociological models to accurately predict the behavior of large masses of people. Uh, in short, he's able to predict the future. Selden foresees not only the fall of the First Galactic Empire, which is too far along at that point and cannot be stopped, but a dark age for humanity where there's a loss of science and technology that will last for 30,000 years, 
unless certain actions are taken to shorten that dark age to merely 1,000 years. So Selden comes up with a plan. The plan. The Selden plan. The details are kept secret to all but a very few, but it involves sending a group of scientists all the way to the fringe of the galaxy towards a barren planet called Terminus in order to preserve and advance scientific technology. Initially, there's a cover story to explain this. The group is fronted by these encyclopedists that are supposedly creating this Encyclopedia Galactica to contain all the relevant knowledge of the galaxy during the coming Dark Ages. And in reality, the purpose of the plan is actually to establish a ruling order based in science that originates in Terminus and then spreads its influence outward first to the neighboring fringe regions and then further and further inwards towards the rest of the galaxy until it establishes the Second Galactic Empire. Also, according to the planet Predetermined Points, naturally the sociological forces will build towards a crisis of one kind or another that are significant enough to determine the course of the plan going forward. So there's these little checks all the way along the way that the foundation needs to clear in order to proceed to the next point. I should mention also that the trilogy covers around 400-ish years or so. Each section usually leaps forward in time several decades and usually shifts focus to a completely different main character. The book starts with an introduction to Harry Selden, Psychohistory, and The Plan. Next, it jumps forward to focus on Salvor Hardin, the mayor of Terminus during a period where the neighboring regions that surround Terminus have all declared their independence from the Empire and have set their sights on the colony. There's a vault on Terminus that's left by Selden, and a hologram of him appears to inform the encyclopedists that, hey, guess what, your entire purpose is just a cover for the formation of the Second Galactic Empire. What you're doing is basically meaningless. At that point, Hardin arranges a coup to take control of Terminus and resolves the crisis by offering to sell technology to all the different kingdoms that are surrounding Terminus and threatening it, effectively playing each one of them off the other, and then keeps Terminus, in effect, neutral and safe. The book then jumps forward to a much older Salver Hardin, who's still the mayor, And at this point, the kingdom of Anacreon, one of its neighboring threatening regions, decides that, hey, thanks for all the advanced technology foundation that you've been supplying us for decades. We're going to use it now to attack you. And since the last story, Hardin has been developing countermeasures for this. He's been laying the groundwork for a religion based in science and headquartered in Terminus to take hold across that region of the galaxy. He uses the spread of that religion to neutralize the invasion that Anacreon threatens by having all of his priests, who are the people that control all the power plants, to go on strike. The story then jumps forward again several decades to focus on a traitor, Limmer Ponyets. And since the last story, Terminus has embraced a system of trade as a means of spreading their influence to the surrounding regions. So they've, de- they've gone from 
religion, superstition to capitalism, basically. Ponyitz, at this point, is tasked by the Foundation to visit a world called a scone and gain the freedom of a fellow traitor that's been captured for violating a ban on advanced technology. He's able to resolve this situation through ingenuity and his bartering skills, and along the way also secures a steady supply of tin for the Foundation. The last story that makes up the first book is then about Hober Mallow, who is a master trader during a time when the Foundation has effectively subjugated all of the surrounding kingdoms and is meeting resistance as it tries to spread its influence beyond that. Uh, the farther they go, the more they're encountering resistance and people that are wise to their tricks. A number of Foundation ships at this point have gone missing in the vicinity of a planet called Corel, and Mallow is tasked with investigating this. He's able to navigate a dicey political situation on Corel and then establishes trade there, but begins to suspect that the Empire, which at this point, several, a couple hundred years, I think, still exists. It's just in the later stages of its um, collapse. That Empire is at this point now attempting to retake the periphery. Mal is able to gather proof of this, and then, as a result, is ushered into power as the new mayor of Terminus. He then later faces war with Corel, which he counters by imposing a trade embargo, because he's established this trade relation, and they're completely dependent on trade with the Foundation. He imposes an embargo, and it completely collapses their economy, problem solved. So that's the first book. From there, the second book starts with a story about a general named Bel Rios of the Empire, the last strong Empire general. And he takes his formidable fleet to try and outmaneuver and defeat the Foundation, because at this point the Empire sees the Foundation as a threat, rightfully so. He's ne nearly able to defeat them, uh, but at that point a traitor from the Foundation named Lathan Devers allows himself to be captured in order to try and disrupt Rios's operation from within. His plan is to try and implicate Rios in a conspiracy to overthrow the current emperor of the galaxy, Cleon II, but he's completely unsuccessful in his efforts. Uh, although things end up resolving themselves anyway, as Cleon just becomes paranoid about Rios's popularity and military successes and has him arrested and possibly executed anyway. So everything that Devers was trying to accomplish was basically meaningless. That's how a lot of these crises re resolve themselves, is just events take their course, and uh, individual action doesn't really have too much of an effect on the outcome. The second half of the second book then jumps forward, takes place about 100 years after the first half, and at this point, the full collapse of the Empire has occurred. The Foundation is now the dominant force in the galaxy, and the ruling order back on Terminus has since become dictatorial and completely complacent. This puts the Foundation proper at odds with the traitors, which are located throughout the immediate region surrounding Terminus, but are separate and apart from the Foundation in a sense. The traders send a newly married couple, Turan and Beta Daryl, 
to investigate rumors, because at this point, you start hearing about this character called the Mule. And he starts capturing territories surrounding the Foundation and winning victory after victory, and nobody can seem to explain it, and nobody really knows what he looks like or what his deal is. So the traders send this couple to investigate rumors about this guy, and in the process they encounter a clown that has escaped from his service called Magnifico Gigantico. And they manage to rescue this clown and learn from him that the mule is a mutant with some sort of unknown power that allows him to conquer all these territories and convert his enemies to allies without firing a shot. The mule continues to drive his way through Foundation territory all the way to Terminus and at one point conquers the Foundation entirely, while the Daryls manage to flee and head towards the Empire capital world of Trantor, the former one, in order to try and uncover information about a rumored second Foundation in order to try and defeat the mule. There, at this point, we've, we're hearing rumors about there's not only just the foundation that we're aware of, but a second one, a secret one. Nobody really knows where it is. And they figure since the foundation proper has been defeated by the mule, uh, the only way to stop the mule from go- conquering the galaxy with his mutant abilities is to try and locate this second foundation. In the end, they're not able to find the location of the second foundation they come pretty close and at the end of the book we learn that this clown magnifico that they've rescued and have been taking with them he's actually himself the mule and his mutant power is emotional manipulation and the only thing he fears is the second foundation since it's rumored to be a group of mentalists capable of threatening his plans of galactic conquest so that's book two Then comes the two novellas that comprise Second Foundation. The first story picks up five years later as the mule continues his search for the whereabouts of the Second Foundation. He sends out two men to conduct this search, while the Council of Psychics that control the Second Foundation, which in effect is a secret organization of psychohistorians that Harry Seldon set up to oversee the plan, they debate countermeasures. The mule's agents seemingly locate the planet that the Second Foundation is on, and this lures the mule out personally to oversee the Second Foundation's destruction. One of the mule's men is revealed to be an agent of the Second Foundation and is forced to give up the true location, and at this point, the first speaker, the leader of the Second Foundation, arrives and reveals that while the mule has been pulled away and preoccupied with this hunt for the Second Foundation, their agents have managed to undo all the mental conditioning of his fleets and that they've effectively ended the mule's reign. The second story in the third book picks up about 60 years later and concerns the son and granddaughter of the Daryls from the end of the previous novel. Since the last story that we just talked about, the Foundation has become aware of the existence of the Second Foundation. It's not secret anymore. And they're starting to become paranoid about this secret organization with agents that can manipulate minds that have been pulling all the puppet strings from behind the scenes. And so the foundation has started studying mental science and preparing countermeasures. Dr. Darrell forms a secret group to 
clandestinely investigate and root out elements of the Second Foundation and sends one of their members and his daughter, Arcady, tags along to the Mule's former planet, Calgan, in order to try and uncover any information that would prove useful in identifying these Second Foundationers. The warlord that rules Calgan decides to declare war on the Foundation and captures the member that was sent by the group, but Arcady manages to escape and, in the process, learns where the Second Foundation is located. She's eventually able to get this information back to her father, and at this point they learn that the Second Foundation is also located on Terminus, and that there are numerous Second Foundation agents embedded within the Foundation that must be ferreted out and removed. At the end, we learn that this was a ruse to throw the Foundation off of the trail, as the Second Foundation is actually located back on the former Empire capital world of Trantor. A lot happens in these books. The Foundation trilogy explores a number of themes. Writ large, it explores the generational shifts that a society experiences over time, and how technology is a civilizing force that gives the bearer control over those without it. It also probes how religion is a method for controlling the unlearned masses. Specifically, the first book covers this. It also discusses how mercantilism and how capitalism and trade conveys power. Also, the drift of governments toward autocracy and dictatorship, and then their inevitable decay. There's also a probing of the paranoia that accompanies living under government control, especially if the inner workings of said government are clandestine and opaque. This relates specifically to the second foundation part of the trilogy. It also talks about how power exacerbates personal ambition, as we see time and again. It also posits that regardless of how we may think that we control outcomes individually, the truth is that there are forces at play that will resolve themselves as they must, through inertia almost, independent of our individual actions or wishes. The Foundation Trilogy are Asimov's most famous and influential works. They won the Hugo Award in 1966 for Best All-Time Series. They went on to influence countless things like Star Wars, Dune, every other futuristic space sci-fi series that you can probably think of. I absolutely loved reading these books. I think it's such a brilliant concept, creating this grounded and realistic future society, both politically and technologically, and focusing on how such a society would become complacent and decadent and eventually fall apart and then explore what comes after and what would grow to replace it. I feel like it resonates even now with regards to American and global politics. Now, it's not my intent to get political whatsoever, but I think it's fair to say that wherever you may fall politically, it's pretty clear that things aren't really working the way they're supposed to anymore. The ravages of capitalism have hollowed out countless communities throughout this country. Services that used to be taken for granted are being suspended. Hell, even here in California, the power companies haven't been doing enough to maintain and update the grid, so during the summer there are all these frequent blackouts in various areas. You get the picture. Does it sound maybe a little like an empire in decline? Maybe we need a foundation of our own. Where is psychohistory when you need it? I also love the way that Asimov kept jumping through time and shifting focus 
entirely to other protagonists. I felt it worked best in his first book, which coincidentally is where he did it the most. I feel like it allows you to consider the sweep of history from a broader vantage point than we might typically consider it from. I also thought that the section with the mule in the latter half of Foundation and Empire and the beginning of Second Foundation was fascinating. The story up to that point has been progressing from one individual crisis to another in a pretty predictable fashion, and then suddenly here comes this guy, a single person, which psychohistory cannot by design anticipate their effect, and flips everything completely upside down. And at this point, he almost completely derails the Selden plan. And even though the mule is defeated in the end, this is the point in the storyline where it starts to feel like everything to do with Selden's plan kind of takes a backseat and becomes inconsequential, and individuals start to drive the narrative forward towards their own ends. My absolutely favorite part of the trilogy, by the way, is probably the end of the second Salvor Hardin section in the first book. This is the moment where Mayor Hardin goes to Anacreon for the crowning ceremony of the new king, only to be taken captive by Prince Regent Weenus. War is declared on the Foundation, ships are launched toward Terminus, and all appears lost. But then, Hardin reveals he has a plan of his own to make use of that religion he started and have the priests all go on strike. It's quite the clever change of fortunes, that scene. I'm also a little surprised that for decades, this was all we got. It was the complete story, as far as we know, and it's weird because it didn't quite make it even halfway through that thousand years that was supposed to elapse between the end of the first empire and the beginning of the second. Uh, spoiler for the future, by the way, the story, the total story never really gets anywhere close to resolving that. And that's going to be where I stop part one of this. Uh, part two is going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. Stay tuned. I hope you look forward to resolving the saga of Asimov and the Foundation series, because there's actually a lot more to say. And I'm excited to share that with you in two weeks. So I'll see you then.